That's where the WWE were going to try and run WrestleMania 7, the actual uh, Coliseum, and then realized that they couldn't because no one wanted any tickets. Um, <laughs> but this is the building outside the Coliseum. And we're looking at NJPW Resurgence. And to join me is Mr. John Dinsdale of Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. How are you, sir? I'm all right. It's the middle of the week, which feels really weird. Yes, we are, we are discussing the idea of putting this out as a special or maybe just leaving it for Monday. Uh, but we've got another show to do this week as well, so it might go out as a special. Um, also, we kind of like want to know what's popular. <laughs> I suppose I could have run a poll on the Troopany Show account if, you're, if you have the Troopany Show on your Twitter, which you should do, at Troopany Show on Twitter, then you would, uh, we could run a poll there and figure out what is popular at the moment. Because we did a show that had a massive listenership, like the most listened show we've ever had in seven years. And it was New Japan and Noah. And we don't know if it's Noah or New Japan that's making you go, ooh. So that's why we're doing two separate shows. Maybe it's because they know it's a comedy and a tragedy because we were completely railing on New Japan. And I mean, <laughs> the way we were talking about Noah, it might as well have been offering free blowjobs. Yes, yes. Maybe they're there for the the divine comedy and tragedy. The thing is with Noah, basically, it's a bit like, you know, um, Joe Biden in comparison to, to, to Donald Trump. Joe Biden's no great shakes as a president, and he's never going to make the top 10 list of anything, but he's barely competent, which means he's infinitely better than his predecessor. And this one has <laughs> become the least listened to show in quite some time, <laughs> turned off for the political commentary. We only got one comment like that, and we're far more political than most podcasts are. Anywho, um, let us talk to some New Japan uh, and Resurgence. New Japan Strong is a really kind of weird entity in one sense because you don't have to watch it to get the whole picture of the New Japan Pro Wrestling, so it's not completely vital viewing. It exists in its own universe, but also in the wider New Japan universe, and it started to get a strong following, but it's difficult to sell it how strong because obviously New Japan don't release ratings for it because it's a streaming service. I guess the only thing you can say is they keep making it so people must be watching it. Really? And I think it was kind of like, um, oh, hell, we need content and this is going to be cheap kind of way of doing things in the early days of COVID when they couldn't do anything else because they had a stock of talent in California, restrictions were looser in California, they could get away with filming it without costing them too much money. They clearly did it on the cheap. Um, but it was good quality wrestling with good quality wrestlers, and as a result of the success of that show, this is what this resurgence show is about, I think. Would you agree, John? Yeah, it's kind of like the big grand coming out party for New Japan Strong, because they're like, oh shit, this is actually working for us. Hey, here's a big show, big names come please fill up the arena 
Yes, sorry, I took a drink of my coffee then whilst you were talking, and you didn't talk as long as I thought you would do. How did <laughs> the inevitable technical difficulties to appear there? No, 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 it's all good. Um, today, I am going to actually um, offer a musical review as well as an auditory review, because I have my guitar plugged in. So uh, this is what I thought of the dark match I didn't see. Uh, the Dark Match featured a Barrett Brown, Bateman, and Mysterioso, and they defeated Jordan Clearwater, Kevin Knight, and DKC, which of course we didn't see because it was a Dark Match. Oh, I'm annoyed about... now. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I say, it's like normally we get to see the Dark Match on a New Japan show, so what were they playing about? Of all the matches to leave out, the one that had Bateman. <laughs> God. Well, I mean, it was also, it was a bit weird because, like, someone pointed out on Twitter, it's like they phoned in an entire pay-per-view because the New Japan World stream was three minutes behind the rest of the world. I think no. the joys of uh, watching, like, ten days too late, so I didn't have Yeah, I, I watched, I got up at about six o'clock and just turned it on. I thought, well, it's the opening match and not enough, I won't miss much. So I just kept watching it from the opening match onwards. And then everything that happened happened on Twitter two minutes before it happened in real life. I was in this weird time paradox. And it wasn't even like trying very hard because they just dumped the Fight TV feed on the New Japan World feed. Like as in somebody's laptop was plugged into the feed. And it was the desktop sharing that did. <laughs> wow. and it was like, oh, God. Um, commentary team was Alex Kovlov, Kevin Kelly, and Matt Raywalt, who I couldn't hear because I wasn't on Fight TV. I was on New Japan World. So I had the Japanese commentary team who seemed very I excited. The, I got the English commentary when I went on. So it yeah, must have been added the, later. The, the it was, yeah, that's because it was live. <laughs> so oh, I was watching it live. I could only get the Japanese commentary, which isn't really good enough, especially if you're just like cut and paste in somebody's desktop. Surely you could have left the English commentary on as well as the Japanese commentary, surely? And it's a shame because Matt Railwalt was so good. Like, I loved his commentary. It was great. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, it was okay. Um, so, yeah, we, well, we'll move on to the first match proper, which is Carl Fredericks versus the still young boy, Alex Coughlin. And they went for 10 minutes and 48 seconds. Here's what I think of this musically. Um, I like this match a lot. It was very basic and nuts and bolts because Carl Fredericks and Carl Alec Coughlin are kind of very basic and nuts and bolts. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I thought it was a load of fun. But it was kind of a foregone conclusion because the young boy never wins. <laughs> and there was a lot of young, young boyness about Alex Coughlin, which he's really good. I think he's potentially like one of the best things to come out of the LA dojo. Still quite don't quite understand what Carl Fredericks is trying to achieve. And haven't really... I mean, he won the big tournament when he beat Shota in the Young Lions Cup a couple of years ago, and I thought, this is going to catapult him to the forefront. And then he graduated, and he has this semi-Native American gimmick, and as far as I can tell, hasn't done anything since. And I'm kind of stuck on him, because I think he's really talented, but he's not. He's missing about four nuts and bolts to make the whole thing. I think it's a Toa Henry thing. Like, he clearly didn't find his calling until this year, and his calling is to be a badass. 
Carl Fredericks is not a badass currently. Even though he has all the tools to be a badass, there is a lot, lack of badassery about him. John, your thoughts? Uh, this just reminds me of uh, Coughlin's Bloodspot matches. They were just really impactful, very technical, and very just, as Solid. you said, kind of basic, but in the good way of basic. Mm. There's nothing wrong with either of them. I think, but Coughlin's got more upside for me because I don't know what Alex Coughlin is yet. I kind of know what Carl Fredericks is, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Seems a bit mean. I don't mean to be mean, but it is just like, do something, young man. <laughs> Show yourself out. Have a conversation with yourself. I don't really have anything to add on to that. <laughs> I like, I really like uh, Coughlin. He's one of the most intense young lines I've ever had. Yes, he is very, he's like, you know, Ren Narita levels of intense. Hey, Speaking of no. whom, I wonder <laughs> if they got on well when they first met when Ren Narita showed up in the LA Dojo. Hi, I'm really intense and scream a lot. Oh, I do too. We should get on well. Either that or they just butted heads and stared at each other for 10 minutes. <laughs> like two bull mastiffs. Um... <laughs> I'm more intense. No, I'm more intense. No, I'm more intense. Shall we move on? Yeah, sure. Clark Connors, Ren Narita and TJP defeated Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero and Wheeler Uter in 11 minutes and 19 seconds. In a let's get everybody paid match, um, it was all right. Nothing particularly to write home about. Um, Fred Ross's, uh, what's his gimmick again? It's Mr. Like all Day no Long or something? Off. Sorry? No days off. Mr. No Days Off. I love his afro. I have to say, having a natural was the way to go for him. He's like the blackest human being I've ever seen in my life. I don't. I mean that as a complete compliment. It is like he has, like you know, distilled the African American experience into one body visual, and you can't argue with that, really, can you? No. What did the What did the guitar think? Oh, the guitar. The guitar. This one. Um. Hmm. Oh, 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 mm. There you go. Yeah, this was one of those matches where you just look at the people in it and you're like, yeah, this is going to be fine, and it was fine. It was yes. completely serviceable six-man tag action. I'm glad Wheeler Uter is getting bigger and bigger stages. He bloody deserves it. He's amazing. Isn't he the guy WWE turned down last year because they didn't have anything for him that would fit? Uh... <laughs> I know that came out this week. I so. can't remember. I think something, yeah, I think the thing is, is that as people are leaving WWE quite regularly, a lot of the stories we hear about how bad WWE actually is are slowly filtering out into the world now. I'm not sure if that was Wheelie Utah or Daniel Garcia. I think, no, Daniel Garcia had a different kind of review, but it was similar. It was similar. I know Wheelie, I know someone's looked at Wheelie Utah in WWE and gone, nah. Which <laughs> is ridiculous because Wheelie Utah is incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's. Clark Connors is great. Really like him. Like his hair. Someone pointed out this week, he's the absolute double for Hangman Page. He's just a bit shorter. And he'd like to see them as a tag team. And actually, uh, that's a pretty good idea. Um, well, considering Connors' finisher is called the Trophy Kill, it's like, yeah, sure. We, yeah. Can, we can both have cowboy gimmicks. The Hangman. That would work. Um, yeah. 
Ren Narita's Ren Narita, he's awesome. TJP's a dick. What can you do? He's he's a solid performer. Um, never going never going to tear trees up, but you know he's all right. He's great to have in matches like this because he's just good at holding it all together. He is a bit of a good wrestler. I I I, I still don't understand his appeal, but there you go. These things happen. It's one of these cases where you try to ignore the person they are and just be like, yeah, they're, they're good at what they do, but <laughs> as long as it's only on my TV screen and not on my Twitter feed, all good. Yes. For those of you who don't know, he's a COVID-denying men's rights activist. That's why we don't like him. Um, Rocky Romero is frigging Rocky Romero. And I I love the fact that he's now channeling the Black Tiger gimmick to, to well, the Black Tiger uh, essence. And I think it's really kind of cool that, like, you know, Mark Rocco is obviously no longer with us after last year, but, like, the idea that, that Rocky is trying to remember all the Black Tigers and trying to use them as his inspiration in his wrestling is a really nice touch. And um, I, we we did indeed love him. And um, uh, to, to get, oh, oh, I've forgotten his tag partner in the coaches. <laughs> um, was Takagi, not Takagi. Gucci. Gucci, that's the one. Taguchi, uh, a couple of in the the, the match that they had with the cutest tag team in Bullet Club. It was it was it, it's just doing what he does, and he does it really really well. And uh, yes, I enjoyed this. Next up, we have uh, a ten man tag: Adrian Crest, Quest, Chris Dickinson, Fred Yehi, Leo Russian, Ui Uemura defeated Team Filthy, Danny Limelight, Harrell, John Nelson, Gr Kratos. Royce Isaacs and Tom Waller in 13 minutes and one seconds. This is what the guitar thinks of this. Oops, hang on. Let's try that again. Uh, oh, John, what did you think of this one? This was awesome. Like, genuinely, again, just the amount of talent in that ring sort of sells the match without you even needing to see it. It's like, yeah, Kratos. I'm again. I'm glad he's being introduced to the big screens. Someone I first saw in Bloodspot and is just is a monster. Chris Dickinson again worked his ass off. Deserves every spotlight he gets. Nice to see Leo Leo Rush in top form. Freddie Yehai again, another person who deserves everything that he's getting. It's yeah. This this is the thing with New Japan Strong. It's putting all these like amazing talents on a bigger platform and just letting them go at it like tom lawler is the ultimate leader for any sort of company he's done it with mlw he's doing it with new japan strong and he just he's like a swiss army knife of wrestling and now he's leading <laughs> another pack full of swiss army knives of wrestling who are going to kill everyone i think we've always sorry it was great Carol. and i just love the fact that Yuya Uemura got the win in his first match over in the US and it's like he cut the most adorable promo ever <laughs> <laughs> but Uemura's just the guy for this because he's been banging heads with Minoru Suzuki for the last year it's like you know I can walk into this lion den of this entire faction that hates everything to do with New Japan Strong and go yeah I face Minoru Suzuki what you got <laughs> I literally stared death in the face and did it again every week for a year and he beat the living hell out of me every week for a year. And, you know, so it's just like there's a lot of storytelling going on that carries over from New Japan, especially with the young guys going over and some of the older guys going over as well. And that's what I think I kind of like about this. It, it's making more cohesive sense of the product. It's making more cohesive sense of the product than the Japanese product is at the minute as well. 
this is the thing. Like, matches like this are missing from the current New Japan formula because they're good at building you into the show. Like, there is a nice mix of story, yet also inconsequential action. Mm. Which you don't get these days with, like, the Japanese New Japan shows because, obviously, they can't run for as long and they can't have so many people there, so it's just sort of beginner match then go 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 beat over the head with story beat over the head with titles beat over the head with this that and the other and you sort of just like burn out before the show's even really gotten into another gear i'm wondering if they'd have been better off not running into front of audiences and just staying like new japan strong hours like when they came back and started doing their tv sh- their, their shows um with the new japan cup last year the 2020 new japan cup Everyone said it was the best version of non-fan wrestling they'd ever seen. And then when the fans came back, the mojo went, if that makes sense. All of a sudden, things stopped making sense and the wrestling wasn't as good. I also feel like some of that is just like the desperation of trying to keep fans entertained and coming back. So you give them bigger matches with what are supposed to be bigger moments that fall flat. Yes, which is, you know, the one the long-held belief that you can't hotshot a territory for an extended period of time. And if you look at the uh, examples of hotshotting that you can think of over the last 30 or 40 years, for instance, ECW was a prime case of hotshotting. So was FMW to an extent. You know, BJW is a company that doesn't hotshot stuff. It has patience and tells storylines and has big blow-off matches which is the reason why it's a deathmatch company that's lasted 20 years when all of the other deathmatch companies went out of business or changed their format entirely. Like the IWA has been going for 20 years, but they do small-scale comedy matches once a month instead of big tournaments of death once a year and weekly shows. You know, there's there's a thing about hotshotting that you just can't do it. For those of you who don't know what hotshotting means as a terminology, it means basically pouring all your big matches and your big angles instead of spacing them out over the space of, say, a year or 18 months, pulling as many of them out as you quickly as you can to garner interest and then steadily slowing the pace down. The trouble is, when you steadily slow the pace down, you might lose some customers. And I think that's basically what New Japan has perhaps gone through. It's an old-school booking issue that's gone. That's never not been there, has it? <laughs> so... You know, some would argue WWE hot-shotted things in the early 2000s, one of the reasons why there isn't as big an audience for wrestling as there used to be. Um, but there we are. We are where we are. And, yeah, I think you're probably onto something there, really. It's also interesting because New Japan Strong has nothing to prove. It had a sold-out building there that we're all just loving what they were seeing. There was no real pressure. Yeah, and New Japan can't sell out Budokan, but Noah can. It's like here, they were just all having fun. The wrestlers were having fun. The fans were mm. having fun. Commentary was having fun. Everyone was just sort of like, isn't this great? We've got a massive full-scale New Japan show full of amazing talent that you, you either have seen, know of, or have never seen before and are going to have your mind blown. And that atmosphere leaks through. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's good. We then had our first singles match of the evening. Juice Robinson defeated Hikaleo of Bullet Club in nine minutes. Dead. In a perfectly serviceable matchup from both guys. Juice is always over like Rover because he's Juice and he always will be over. And he, he's, he's the boy, isn't he? 
And Ikaleo is a greatly improved young man. I watched his match with Lance Archer on uh, AEW a few weeks ago, and he looks like a guy who can go, and he looks like a guy who can have a match. Now, this wasn't, you know, Thez, Lou Thez versus uh, Carl Gotch or anything, but it was pretty good for what it was supposed to be. It got juice over. It made Hikaleo look like a monster, but he's kind of a beatable monster. So, Because what else can you do with him, really? He's one of those things like you can't like push him forever as a monster because he's not good enough yet. But equally, he's perfectly serviceable at doing what he does. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, it was another inconsequential match, but it was perfectly fine to watch. And as you said, they had a great dynamic going between the two of them because Juice couldn't do half the things Juice normally does because Hippoleo is nearly seven foot tall. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it just, again, told a nice little story in a concise time. And Hikaleo lost, loses nothing. Juice Robinson gains a bit and everyone's happy. Yes, that's it. Oh, I haven't done a uh, sound effect for this, have I? Uh, the guitar thinks... Oh, hang on. There you go. I was waiting for like the last one where there's going to be like a wah-wah pedal and not so much distortion it's going to blow out the entire speaker system. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not, I haven't got... You'll hear it because the amp would make too much noise and we wouldn't be able to podcast. okay so we get to the first proper special singles match of the evening Tomohiro Ishii defeated Moose in 16 minutes and 7 seconds Moose making his New Japan debut Um, a lot of the New Japan faithful were happy about this because of obvious reasons it's Moose Uh, (laughs) um, it was was a Moose match it was fine I didn't think it was as good as a lot of people did. I know I didn't think it was as good as you, you thought it was. It's really hard, hard to have bad matches with Tom Arishi, but it did look like Moose was a step behind for me all the way through this match. And that's, see, that's the big thing about like the New Japan Impact crossover. Even Dave Finley and Juice Robinson make everyone else look like they're moving in slow motion. When so guys like Jay White and Tom Arishi turn up, Everybody looks like a bit dropped off, to be honest with you, which, again, isn't great for new for Impact Wrestling. It's great that they get the big names in and they get the crossover appeal, but nothing makes you look worse than someone who comes into your organization and looks 10 times better than you, and that was my issue with this match. Perfectly fine for what it was. Moose is big and gangly, and he is a bit awkward to move around, and Ishii really moved him around as best as anyone I've seen. But like I said, it's really impossible to have a great match with it's virtually impossible to have a bad match with Tom Oishi. What are your thoughts on this one, John? Again, I I enjoyed it. I think Moose is great in big matches. Like, this is, again, just based on wrestling skills, not personality or anything like that. Yeah. He's good at what he does. He's an athletic big man, and he did athletic big man things. And Ishii made him look like a million dollars and then kicked his ass. It's it's one of those matches that's hard to do wrong, really. You've got the guy that's a monster, the guy that's the underdog, and the underdog takes out the monster. Yeah. And I enjoyed it at the time because it's just, and again, it's an Ishii match. And it's been a while since I've been able to just watch an Ishii match. And yeah. to just watch him have an opponent who will hit him hard, get hit harder, and just, yeah try and keep up with them it's perfectly fun to watch okay here is the guitar thoughts on this um just as a thought has moose actually had his tattoos removed 
I don't think so. I just don't think the light was picking them up very well. I think he had some form of powder on him to kind of like deaden them down a bit. I wonder if it's because it's a Japanese program. Or yeah. So that's, well, I mean, no, that can't be true because um, obviously Gallows and Anderson have like tattoos and stuff. So does Finlay and Royce Isaacs Maybe and a few other people as well. It just didn't look. I don't know, just thought like he'd had some. I'm wondering if he's like being made up because some of the tattoos might be offensive to a certain audience. That's a possibility, I suppose. But I wouldn't have thought so. So it just seemed a bit strange. I wasn't really. I didn't really notice. I'm not sure. Maybe it was the screen I was watching it on. Yeah, maybe um, there, was some, there was some dust on the um, laptop. <laughs> Oh, my house is a building site at the moment. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, let's move on to a special tag team attraction where your former IWGP US Heavyweight Champion, John Moxley, challenged the Good Brothers to a match uh, in the ongoing Elite versus John Moxley storyline. And he got to pick his own tag team partner. Now... For a long time, everyone wanted it to be Shota Umino. Unfortunately, Shota Umino is stuck in Ref Pro, which is an unfortunate chain of events. Commentary actually said that it was meant to be Shota Umino. Yeah, um, so it wasn't. And it ended up being Yuji Nagata. Let's face it, it is a pretty good substitute, especially if, he, if Shota Umino was going to lose, which I wouldn't like to see on his return to the main roster, to be honest with you. I would much prefer it to be Yuji Nagata. And they can at least save Shota Umino for a big show like Wrestle Kingdom, say, or King of Pro Wrestling, where it would be, pardon me, much more of a, a, a big thing. This match was pretty good. Good Brothers were a good tag team, and they do it well, though I don't think anything they've done has been particularly spectacular since they got out of WWE. Um, boys at Cage Match, sorry, Boys and Girls at Cage Match gave it 5.68, which I think is probably about right. Not big on numerical standing here. It was okay. There was nothing wrong with it. It was great to see Eugene Nagata in front of the US audience. The fans lapped him up because they love him. And Moxley was Moxley. I think this was fine. John, your thoughts? Yeah, it was another just fun little match. I I agree that the Good Brothers seem to have lost a step. And I'm not sure if they're doing that intentionally. Just because obviously they've gone bigger on characters since leaving WWE. Because if you've not, like, on Impact, they tend to just talk about how much they hate it there. And there's things like, it feels like they've gone character over work rate, which kind of works with them, I guess. Because we know that they could kick it into another gear if they wanted to, and they're just holding back. I could yeah. be just completely overthinking this because I love the Good Brothers and don't want to think that they're going shit. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think the, I don't think they've completely dropped off. But you also have to think about the opposition they have in Impact Wrestling, which is, you know, there's a couple of good teams, but none of them are like the standard of the teams they faced in WWE or in New Japan, is it, really? Mm, I suppose. You know, it is a bit like Doc and Gordy had a trip home to the States, so they went to do a bunch of indie shows and just collected indie tag titles in the 90s. That was the storyline. But it also they made everybody else look like a bit dropped off because they were Doc and Gordy. <laughs> so, I mean, I think Doc and Gallows and Carl Anderson are kind of like, they are on another tier, but they don't have to try as hard an impact either. 
because it's a show that they wrestle for seven minutes and that's the match. It's not like they're having to go 20 minutes with um, Goto and uh, Akada, is it? You know, that, that Goto and Shibata like they used to. They have to have a fair level of drop-off. It's not. It's just not as stiff. It's not as... Uh, it's more story-orientated, like you said. They can do more with less, if that makes sense. I love John Moxley when he's in a ring because he's just swaggering all over the place, acting like... <laughs> The fact he did um, Nagata's salute with him. Yeah. It was just so nice. It was so cool. You can tell he's just having a dream match right there because he's he's got to fight him and now he's got to team up with him. And it's just, yeah. It's just people having fun. Well, that's it. I mean, I know that Moxley wants Hiroshi Tanahashi. He's talked about that for quite some time on AEW television. So that would quite be quite interesting, I think. So, hmm, especially considering what happened late in the card. But we'll talk about that at the end of the card. Oh, I need to give a musical salute to this match, don't I? So this, this is the musical salute to this one. I was just waiting for you to do, like, the manic guitar that opens up Moxley's entrance music. <laughs> oh, wild thing. No, no, the New Japan one. Oh, no, I can't do that. Uh, no, <laughs> is the short answer to that. But I'll we'll move on. If we ever get Moxley versus Onita and it's just a dueling battle. Oh, no, no, no. I... What I said was, this is the, I said this on Twitter ages ago. What I want is six-man tag, whoever, versus Onita, Moxley, and get combat Toyota out of retirement into gender tag match. And then you just hear Wild Thing three times in a row. Speaking of Onita, he's, <laughs> he's brought Matt Tremont out of retirement. Again? Oh, I mean, they're wrestling each other again. Yeah, and it's going to be a proper FMWE meets H2O wrestling explosion match <laughs> on October 31st, and I am over the bloody moon for this. It's like your Christmases and, uh, and Halloween's all come at once. Well, it's like Halloween's my favourite time of the year, and it's going to be my favourite time again, because not only... Am I getting a dream match? But it's Matt Tremont coming out of retirement for a story, and not just because people pressured him into it. Are you are you going to do um, another Halloween uh, advent calendar of death matches? I'm hoping to, yeah. Ah. If you don't, for the others of you don't know and don't follow Steel Chair Wrestling, you should do. Uh, John every year does an advent calendar of death matches for. Um, for the month of October. So every day there's a recommended death match and a little review in the story behind it. He's very kindly asked me to do a couple um, down the years. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good read if you like your death match wrestling, which I know quite a few fans do. There's so, yes. currently 62 to read. Oh. Yes, there you go. Go back in the archives and see them there. Oh. Right then, we'll move on to the semi-main event of the evening for the Never Openweight Championship. Jay White defends it against Dave Finley, his lifelong nemesis, well, career-long nemesis in New Japan Pro Wrestling. There was an awful lot of build-up to this. This was the first big match announced for the two, and I was kind of disappointed it wasn't the actual last match on the card, I'll be honest with you. I love Dave Finley, and I know not everybody else gets him as well as I do or thinks he's as good as I do think he is, and I kind of think he probably didn't do as well in this match as he did in the match in the New Japan Cup. I think that was probably a better match. Um, 
but he's an emotional storyteller and the emotions were there in this match and I really enjoyed it. I don't think people... Um, he's kind of putting an impossible position. He's in a baby face. He's a baby face, a proper true baby face in a match with a guy who's just more popular than he is. That's not his fault. If it was in Japan, Jay had been booed out of the building. But because it's in Los Angeles, Jay's the man. It also doesn't help with the way he's been portrayed on Impact Wrestling as the savior of Impact Wrestling because he came in and challenged Kenny Omega. And Dave and... Juice have been portrayed as tag wrestlers, which doesn't help him either. So there was lots going against him in this match. And I think he kind of did what he needed to do. I don't think it's going to be a match that he's going to fondly remember, but it was his kind of first semi-main event for New Japan. And I think he should remember it well. It's plenty of stuff to build on for me. Jay White, Jay White is the best heel in wrestling at the moment, I think. Um, what are your thoughts on this, John? Yeah, it was nice to see him getting cheered in the US of Jay. I saw that <laughs> and I love the pun. It's it's impossible to be more popular than Jay White in the States unless your name is either probably Minoru Suzuki or Kazuchika Okada. Like Jay White is just one of the most popular men on the planet for being the ultimate dickhead of wrestling. And like David Finley put on a like a really good match here, and it was nice to see him sort of turn to desperation tactics when shit was going sideways and it uh, it lost the element of surprise that the New Japan Cup match had yeah but it also told a better story because obviously White was prepared this time he's like all right you got me once you're not going to get me again and it just built to a really nice match sure yeah. the dynamics were a bit skewed and Finley was in a bit of a shit spot but I don't know. I I enjoyed it. I mean, that might, again, just be because it's Jay White and Jay White can elevate anyone with a snap of his fingers. I think it is. they've always had good matches. If you go back to the first match they had when they left the dojo, the last match they had before they left the dojo, when Dave beat Jay back in the Black Tights days, it was a cracker. It was just like really, really good. They both, you know, they gave Dave one that day, I think basically because he was staying in Japan and Jay was off an excursion. And I think perhaps one of the issues Dave's had is because he didn't go on excursion. You know, he had plenty of experience that so they didn't think he needed it, but they missed Jay when he came back, if that makes sense. He was a surprise. It was like a different wrestler, whereas Dave Finley's always going to be Dave Finley. You know, he's he's beer drinker, you know, <laughs> tag team wrestler, beer drinker, one of the best tag wrestlers in the world right now. And, you know, it's... I mean, there was some stuff in the press about this, about he's moved to Florida. He's thinking about, like, not re-signing with New Japan because he's kind of done everything he can do there, he thinks. Um, I kind of prefers the North American style. He's really been enjoyed working in Impact. But I don't think he's going to go. I think, I don't know. I, I he's going to turn I, on Juice. Sorry? He's going to turn on Juice. You think so? I, I'm not sure they will. Just based on what's left for him to do... I feel like the best way to open him up to new possibilities is to just have him, like, kick Juice away and try and become, like, a solo guy. But, like, I think a dick-headed solo guy. I think there's a possibility in that, but I think they played that card too many times lately. And it stops being a surprise. Because they've done it with like... Toa Henry, they've done it with Osprey, they've done it with... I mean, they have to recruit for... Billy No Mates Empirical Shit Show, but 
I don't know if they... I think they've got enough heels. I think they just... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. They're going to the main event of a pay-per-view show. There's, they're doing the right things with him, and he's doing the right stuff. I just think he was a bad situation for him to be on this show. But equally, we've noticed that a lot of the Gaijins have used the wrestling press to put pressure into stories. For instance, Jay White mildly suggesting that he was in uh, negotiations with WWE. And then that kind of like went, ooh, New Japan, ooh, that put a load of news slots onto New Japan Pro Wrestling. And of course, it wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> but, you know, he's a lifer. And I think Dave's a lifer as well. So we'll see, I guess. I just want to see, like, the next Blarnie Avenues. Like, what I was building to was, like, a, a massive down-the-road thing. Like, he's got to lose to Jay a couple more times and get darker per match. But, like... It just it would be interesting to see if a Finley like singles run could really pick up the steam it deserves. I think in time, I think they did this right thing this way, giving him a big run in the New Japan Cup. Um, he got to the final, but I think he's Carl Anderson. He's not Finn Bauer, if that makes sense. He's better as a tag guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a guy who's going to get to the final. He's going to have a really good championship run. He's Ishi. He's the Ishi of Hontai. In the sense of not in the big slobber knocker matches, but in the sense of he'll give it his all, he'll give you the absolute best he can, but he isn't quite going to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So we shall see anyway. Oh, I need to do a musical um, interlude for this one, don't I? So let's see. There we go. Made a twang. Uh, main event time of the final match of the evening. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Lance Archer to become the new IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion, making him the second person to win the New Japan Pro Wrestling Grand Slam after he lost the Openweight title to Jay White, who was the first person to do the Grand Slam in New Japan Pro Wrestling. 19 minutes, 26 seconds of a thoroughly thrilling matchup. Um, probably wasn't Tanahashi's best title match ever, but it was a ton of fun. And Archer is on top form right now. I can see where AEW puts puts so much faith in him and is announced to wrestle his old boss, Minoru Suzuki, at the next Los Angeles pay-per-view in a couple of weeks' time. Your thoughts on this one, sir? This is how you do a main event title match. Like, it was 20 minutes. It was non-stop... Excuse me. Non-stop action. It was... Damn fun to watch. The crowd bloody loved it. Both guys looked like stars. There was no 10-minute long bloody rest hall section so people could get their breath back. It was just awesome. I mean, I'm slightly annoyed with the result. It makes sense. But I was hoping, like, Archie would get a longer run just because, obviously, he's a U.S. champion in the U.S., and he could have obviously done more matches with it on AEW. I get why they put it on Tanahashi. And I think it's nice to have him chasing Jay still in the longest overarching story New Japan will probably ever have. Yeah. I, I, I think, well, if Jay's staying in North America, they need a secondary title in Japan. So I think it makes more sense for Tanahashi to have the belt than Archer. I can understand what you're saying with Archer. But he's still an AEW guy. They can't control him the way they control Tanahashi. So it, I think Archer makes the perfect transitional champion 
so that Tanahashi doesn't have to beat Moxley and you get that down the line because Arch is a former champion who's had big matches with Moxley before. He understands him and understands how to beat him. And it doesn't really hurt Moxley. And you've kind of protected everyone and got the belt on somebody who can be back in Japan next week and have main events seven nights a week and it'll be fine. It's him back in a safe pair of hands. Not that Archie wasn't, but Tanahashi's a safer pair of hands, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm a massive Archer fan. Oh, I am too. I think he's ace. However, I think Hiroshi Tanahashi's always going to be the guy. So, you know, whilst you've got him, use him. <laughs> oh, definitely. If you ever needed someone to build the belt back up, then after it's been missing from screens for several months because Mockley was stuck in the US, then, yeah, you there's no better person than Tanahashi. Yeah. So the musical interlude, I'm, excuse me a second, I'm going to have to do this. Drum rolls, everyone. <laughs> Just for the ace. Don't have some distortion on there, don't <laughs> So, yeah. And that was the show, really. It was very good for what it was. I don't think it was like the best show you're going to see all year, but I do think it was a fun show everybody enjoyed. It was. Which has been sorely lacking. Hours. It was three and a half hours. I didn't feel like turning off New Japan for once. Which doesn't happen very often, let's face it. Did we want to talk a bit about the um, lineup so far for um, the two Grand Slam shows? Yes, you can do. Would you like to? What have you got them there? I've got, I've got them here, I think. Let me have a look. First one, I can, I can tab out to the second one. So Grand, Life, Grand Slam in the MetLife, uh, night one and night two. So uh, night one, we'll open with... Uh, Chase Owens versus Toriano for the King of Pro Wrestling Championship. In? In Torokazawa, Satayama, Japan. I did not give you the stipulation. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's a King so of Pro was, Wrestling. This was voted for by um, Twitter poll, and it is a NordEQ I quit match. These two aren't going to have a death match, John, as much as you would like it to be so. No, but just think how many possibilities there are for this. <laughs> I've, just, I've got mental images by the Toriano or Chase Owens taped up so, like, so badly they can't move and one of them just says, I quit, so they can finally be free of muscle cramp. That's a possibility. That, that could be interesting. It's like, like uh, Chase Owens, who knew Chase Owens versus Toriano would be the semi-main event of a baseball stadium show? Or possibly opening match of the baseball stadium show. People definitely thought that. But yeah, it'd be, it'd be intriguing. The other one is Kazuchika Kukada versus Jeff Cobb. And we've seen this one already. Yeah. Hang on a second. Which are you, what are you using for to look at? I'm them? looking at cage match. Ah, uh, see, so yeah, I'm looking at the actual New Japan site. Okay. Is that got, not on there anymore? They've got. Um, no, no. Okada and Cobb is sort of in the main event slot at the moment. But before that, the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship match, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi. Yeah, that's that's what he announced this week, because he wanted his number one contender to be Kota. I don't know why. <sighs> so Kota's going to lose another title match. It's a possibility, but... Uh... <laughs> Two Japanese guys wrestling for the United States title in Japan. 
it's making less and less sense. But okay. Um, and right, it's back a, to Okada and Cobb and the fact that we're seeing this match again. Yes. Any reason for that? Uh, none that I can see and none that I can think of other than... Oh, Everyone out, guys. Cobb's angry he lost to Okada. He wants another shot. And this is probably just going to be some vehicle so that Will Ospreay can appear and just twat Okada in the back of the head. And no. Like, oh, Ospreay's, bu- Ospreay's booked in the States till the end of the G1. He's got dates in the UK, he's got dates in the States, but he hasn't got dates in Japan. Okay. So. <laughs> Look, this isn't a starry device. No, he's got some Ref Pro stuff to do and he's got some New Japan Strong stuff to do, but no, he's not going to be available for the G1 this year, so he won't be at this either. So, mm. Mm. I'm, I'm saying that, but obviously, you know. I've got three matches for night two as well. Yeah, that, I've got three matches. as well. Right, good. Cage matches on the same page this time. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so we've got the Junior Heavyweight Championship match. Robbie Eagles will defend against Hiromu Takahashi. Um, Basically, Takahashi's getting the belt again. <laughs> I, it would be the obvious thing to do, because then you'd build up to Desperado versus Takahashi at a bigger show, like Kings of Pro Wrestling, because um, that's the obvious moneymaker. And you haven't had best of super juniors, which I'm guessing they're going to run currently with tag league like they did last year. Which, if they do that, that means that you can run Desperado to finally get the win of best of super juniors and then challenge Takahashi at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, which is the big money match they've got in that division because they haven't really got an awful lot else going on in that division at the moment. This isn't a knock on Eagles, by the way. It's just this is New Japan and they can't seem to separate Takahashi from that title for very long. But why? But equally, why should they? He's the biggest star the junior divisions had since Liger. Yeah, but sometimes chasing is better than having. I understand that, but his entire personality is based around being the champion, which is very clever on his part. <laughs> El Tusan. Yes, exactly. But that's the, we'll see. Is all oh, I can say about that. Not again. Well, Dangerous Techers will challenge, would be challenged for their IWGP Heavyweight Championship Tag Team titles by Chaos, Hiroki Yoto and Yoshihashi, and Sonata, Tetsuya, Nato. Um, don't know why they're there. Uh, Honestly, it, I could quite happily see Goto and Hashi go up against Dangerous Techers all day long and twice on Sundays, and it would be fun. This just screams if we had no idea what to do for a tag feud, so here's a rematch with a twist. Is the former champions in the match again, because like we did last year and the year before that and the year before that. And they reminded me of the year that like um, War Machine, uh, Killer Elite Squad and G.O.D. had a three-way tag feud for months, what seemed like eons. It was weeks they faced each other. It was like the New Beginnings Tour where they had three major events in three days and they wrestled each other three times in a, six, in a three-way dance three times. And it was yeah, like... Those three teams all work together way better than Dangerous Techers, LIJ... And not K. that well. <laughs> <laughs> Big lads being lumpy and chucking each other about was not my idea of fun. But there we go. And we got it for three nights in a row. But... This lot will be more technically gifted, but whether they can actually manage to pull something out of this mess between them, I'm not sure. I mean, this is got... where we get double champion Yoshihashi. 
Like this is it. This is this... a divine prophecy coming to coming to be. Well, it's now not... here's the thing. You see, Yoshihashi and Naoki Goto as never 0.6 man tag team champions with Ishii in the states for the foreseeable future means they are going to be never open weight tag team champions forever. Me mm-hmm. and Sir Lariato were discussing it this week, and we finalised the plan that in the end. Um, Yoshihashi just has to go to an Ishii retire with the belts, and then Yoshihashi just has to defend them by himself and call his mates up every time there's a championship match and persuade them out of retirement to come and defend the titles. And then in the end, by the by the end of Yoshihashi's retirement, he comes to ring with uh, uh, a Zimmer frame, leans it up against ringside, and then just defends the belts by himself <laughs> and beats everybody in three minutes. <laughs> uh. So yes, you could have double champion Yoshihashi by the end of that particular evening, and that is something everybody wants. I used to make jokes about being the leader of the Yoshihashi fan club, and now everyone likes him. It's because just... he's lovely. And to be <laughs> fair to you, Marcus and Christy were much bigger fans of Yoshihashi for a long, long, long time. And then the main event, which is going to put everyone to sleep. Oh, good God. Shingo Takagi versus Evil. Really? Do we have to? Oh, get well soon, Takagi. Oh, there and is something. Yuki. Yeah, that's true. Takagi is currently inflicted with your COVID, so hopefully he's better soon. It hasn't really affected him that much. Or else we might have to have a new champion. <laughs> Who else? We're going to stick in with Evil to make it work. And this is not, by the way, none of us blame Evil for this issue. It is nothing to do with Evil. It is plenty to do with the fact that his character has not yet to find a centre or anything reasonable to do. So it's kind of stuck with him as he is. And the fact that we're going to have to see 40 minutes of these two slowly doing stuff. Lumbering each other for, for 40 minutes. One thing we forgot on the wrestle, uh, the, the US resurgence card was to talk about William Osprey, who came back to cut a 12-minute promo and bore the pants off of people. Oh, see, I, ju- I just didn't watch that. I saw his smug, gurning face and just skipped. Oh, yeah, so I, I went and made a cup of coffee and came back when it was over. Uh, he picked a fight with Clark Connors and TJP. Why, in God's name, is your former champion masquerading as the real world champion picking, fight, picking a fight with a New Japan strong non-entity like TJP? does strike me as somewhat below him, but here we are. That's, that's what we do. Um, it's probably because they know the US isn't going to be quite as tolerable of it of him as japan was not quite but it's intriguing because it's like i'm running through my twitter feed on sunday morning as i'm watching it and i'm I'm going oh god here we go and most of and it's an interesting split because alan forel who used to write at fsm with me um big name wrestling writer and and commentator has his own podcast as well it's very good he actually asked what is the reaction to Osprey? Because he said, as far as I could tell, it was just somebody shouting for 12 minutes. And I don't understand what he's talking about. Yeah, and he's English. <laughs> and I, this is, this is from the guy pointed out on Sunday as well. It's like that a lot of people thought that promo was the best promo they'd heard all year. A lot of other people thought it was the verbal equivalent of horse manure and wished that he wasn't anywhere near a wrestling ring anymore. Um, the circles of hell was mentioned, I think. So, you know, there is there is no, like, one way or the other with him. There are people either love him and think he's the greatest thing since Ric Flair, or they despise him 
with all the hatred in their dark hearts. Yes. And that's that's it. There is no in between. I mean, obviously, I'm on the hating with all the hatred in my dark heart side of the fence. But um, yeah, it's it's intriguing because it's like I read people going, "This promo is great," and it's like I heard bits of it, and I'm going like, "No, it's not. It's really not. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't get anybody over." It's just somebody shouting in Essex for 12 minutes. And I could go to Colchester and go and stand outside a pub on a, a Sunday, Friday night and have the same thing happen to me. And I'd get as much coherent story out of it as I did then. I used to love Osprey. I used to... When he first came, like, onto the scene, he was doing new things, he was innovating styles, and he was putting on electric matches. The problem with that is he became formulaic. All his matches have to be about all his spots. He doesn't do anything new anymore. And if he does, it's usually just to play on something he used to do anyway. Mm. Throw in all the recent bullshit that we're all wishing would either improve or go away. And it's just like nobody really wants to see him anymore unless they're a diehard fan of him. Like people who used to be fans are put off by the fact that he either refuses to do anything he's stagnated or he's showing no signs of maturity and is instead reveling in this maniacal bond villain that nobody likes <laughs> or yeah it's like as much as i don't want to hate osprey i find myself hating him because he's stagnated he became a champion and did nothing with it he yeah. became a heavyweight and did nothing with it it's like I've seen recently with a, f- a few old friends of mine, like they're talking about the sort of 2018 best of super juniors where Shingo mm. came into it, became this monster and lost to a self-absorbed Osprey. And it's like that's the moment people started to hate him because they realized nobody else is ever going to get around with Osprey there. Yeah, and... which you could arguably could say the same thing happened in progress. And this is before we get to the other stuff, which is the other reason why people hate him. But actually there is good reason to dislike him as a character and good reason to dislike him as a person within the context of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Before you get to the lack of maturity, the rape apology stuff, the lack of rape apologies, or or rape apologist stuff that he hasn't apologized for, the accusations about other things, trying to crowdsource a car for his mum, all the things that, make him an unlikable person in real life are on top of this character which is completely unlikable and has no redeeming qualities whatsoever it's not like you can look and say oh yes this person really benefited from that feud with osprey no you can't anymore like the last time you could say that was when him and ricochet propelled each other to the moon by pissing off jim Cornette with some of the best looking flippy shit you'd saw that year what but happened it, it, since then? But even then, in you know, in continuing levels of horror story, they tried to rework the magic involving B. Priestley and Tessa Blanchard, the two people who were involved with at the time, for ever diminishing returns because B. Priestley and Tessa Blanchard aren't the kind of people that can have that kind of match and showed a basic core misunderstanding of the talents of their respective partners. You know, so it's like, well, you can't be that good at understanding wrestling then, can you? There's just so much wrong with, like, Will Ospreay that, like, if you like him, good on you. 
you can find something to like in that. And as much as I want to tear you down for that, I can't. I, I'd love to, but... I'm quite happy to. If you I'm like him, you should reevaluate. <laughs> I try to be as live and let live as possible unless it comes to bloody anti-vax stuff, in which case I'll tear you apart. You wish you'd been jabbed by a needle, but it's just... <laughs> Yeah, He's one no. of those people that will be defended to the death by the people that like him, and I just don't have the energy for that. No, I understand what you mean. I mean, this is it. Isn't a lot of people I I I respect who are just like, oh, this is amazing. I'm like, no, it's really not. I mean, he has improved in the ring as far as his basic nuts and bolts stuff is concerned. He does sell better than he used to. He's still not great. There are still gaping holes that all those big spots cover up. Like, when you watch, like, you to use the phrase best bout machine, but Kenny Omega is a good example. There's no slack. He sells really well. He does all the big spots really well. He tells a story really well. All his moves are crisp. You know, that's, that's why he's called the best bout machine. He can tell a story in 20 minutes that really has you hooked. So can Okada. So can Ishii. You know, so can... NATO, even evil when he's on one and he's got a character that works, he can produce a match that you are engrossed in. Despite, you know, even like you watch old matches of Honma, who's not a particularly nice person, but you can get lost in those matches because you're involved in what he's doing. But with Osprey, there is always, always this undercurrent of it's not something's not quite there. Something's I still don't get lost in the match, and I can't get over all of the stuff that just gets in the way of enjoying Osprey. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's just like, can't even like manage to do a hand sign that doesn't look like he's a member of the Proud Boys. And it's like, you are so tone deaf, and you just don't listen, and you don't learn. And that's why you get so much stick. And it's not heat, it's just people are just tired of you. And that's the problem. I think like, people I'd are just love, tired. I'd love to turn around and say, like, oh, yeah, give it a few years and we'll be talking to talking about him like we talk about Tai Chi now, but I just don't think he's going to grasp that level of self-awareness. No, he isn't. He's, tw- he's nearly 30. He's not a boy anymore. He's a main event wrestler for the second biggest wrestling company on Earth. Well, at the minute, fourth biggest wrestling company on Earth. But you know what I mean. It is just like... It's just you kind of wish he'd gone to a dojo so all of this stuff would not have happened. Dave Finley doesn't do this. Jay White doesn't do this. And they're only a couple of years younger than him. You know, Juice, I'm not being funny, but someone like Juice Robinson with his private personality is the reason why he doesn't have a Twitter account. Because whenever you see him on Instagram or anything else, is at a party with loads of girls. There is an ample opportunity for Jay Juice Robinson's life to go sideways in 10 seconds flat but he has the common sense and the maturity to not do it in public or make his voice known in public that way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And whereas, whereas Osprey has lived his life out loud when no one was listening, and there's the problem. <laughs> Anywho. Well, uh, New Japan strong, good. New Japan resurgence, good. Potentially good matches coming from Wrestle Grand Slam, maybe. I'm especially looking forward to seeing what creative shit Yano and Chase come up with. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it, really. 
we'll be looking at yeah we're going to be positive we'll be looking at Noah next time and that'll be even more positive that'll be Monday's show I think I'm probably going to do this as a weekend special so we can do the Noah show for Monday this weekend is Peter Pan from DDT Wrestling and we're coming up on our 7th anniversary of the show and our 250th show on SoundCloud so I may have a special guest to come back to talk wrestling for that show in the meantime my name's James Troopany. You've been listening to The Troopany Show. I'd like to thank my guest today, Mr. John Dinsdale, Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter profile, John Deathman. That is the gateway to hell that will give you access to my opinions, my tweets, my reviews, my writings. And obviously, yeah, check out Steel Chair or WrestlingSC.com to fully embrace the weird writing I do whether it's death matches, Chocker Pro, DDT stuff and yeah, anything I really feel like writing about. Emi Sakura back on AEW this week, that will improve things, no end. I'm not like all this stuff, talk about punk coming back to wrestling, don't care. Emi Sakura's back on AEW, all is right with the world. <laughs> I made her um, return on um, the dark taping they were doing yesterday so she should be on the show next week I think. There you go. Based on how they tape things. Making making the AW roster ten percent better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, good job on Jamie Hayter getting a job with AW as well. That was really, really cool. Um and Masha Slamovich taking uh, having a match on on AEW too. I hope she gets a full time job as well, because she's absolutely awesome and follows oh, me on Twitter and is a very lovely person. Lamovich should be everywhere. Every chance I get to write about her on an indie show is a good time. Yeah, she is top value for money as far as professional wrestling. If there were, I hate to do this because you shouldn't, but if there was a female Tomohiro Ishii, she'd be it. <laughs> Fireplug wrestler. She is capable of elevating anyone, taking monstrous amounts of abuse and then making people pay for it. There you go. Anywho, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. We'll be back on Monday. We'll be looking at Noah from their show from last week. Probably catching up with wrestling news this week. It's, it's all coming along thick and fast at the moment as the wrestling companies try and fit as much in as they can before the end of summer, um, especially with those outdoor shows in Japan. So, We'll be doing an awful lot of stuff. I'm kind of umming and ahhing about doing the N1 this year as well as the G1. I think that would be kind of cool, but it depends as I'm moving house how much time I have. But I'm determined to try and cover a NOAA tournament before the end of the year. So we shall see how that goes. In the meantime, we'll speak to you on Monday. Take care. Bye. I have to find the thing because I'm on a Mac. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you.